0: Welcome to the Jongets Games Podcast. In this episode, you'll be hearing the audio from the Games Radar Vlog that came out in April of 2020. Now, in that, I discussed 24 games that I've learned about over the last two months, and I go into why they are of particular interest to me. Now, I've learned about a lot more than 24 games, but I've tried to bring this down to a list of just the ones that were of particular interest. Now, I will be covering these in alphabetical order, and you can look to the description of this podcast in order to see the entire list. Before I move on, I would like to mention that the only reason this podcast is being made is because of the direct support of the Jongets Games Patreon campaign. Now, you can learn more about that by going to patreon.com slash games, and I hope that if you enjoy listening to these vlogs instead of watching them on the YouTube channel, then you would consider supporting that campaign. The final thing I'd like to ask is that if you have any questions or comments about anything I say today, that you leave that as a comment on the YouTube page for the vlog, and you can find a link to that in the description of this podcast. (laughs) you <laughs> Alright, let's now jump into the games, and I will be doing that with my trusty laptop right over here. Uh, Now, as I said, we are going in alphabetical order, so the first one we'll be talking about today is Abyssal Line. Um, Now, I first learned about this one about a week or so ago when I saw some tweets going up about it, and um, this is a game being published by Analog Lunchbox. Um, Now, there's not a lot uh, going on the page so far as as far as uh, pictures are concerned. Uh, There is an image of the box cover, which is kind of nice. It has a simplistic artistic cartoon style of uh, the bottom of the ocean, essentially. Now, uh, what the description of this game says is you are an oceanographer seeking to cultivate interest in the wonders of the ocean's depths while uh, studying its creatures. To better pursue these goals, you have to become the uh, captain of a deep sea sightseeing vessel. Uh, So in this game, you are essentially trying to uh, make your passengers happy, uh, but you are also trying to uh, publish um, scientific papers, and that's kind of all it says in the description Uh, as far as categories are concerned it says it's science fiction and it says that it has a rondel for a mechanism. Now, that is one of the main reasons why I'm curious to learn more about this. Uh, I think that Analog Lunchbox makes some interesting-looking games in general, but um, the fact that this uses a rondelle as a mechanism for um, uh, exploring the deep sea, I'm, I'm just really curious to see how that works. I love rondelles as a mechanism. In general, it's effectively a circular track where you move along it um, some distance to do actions, but then you have to obviously go all the way back around to get to those previous options. Um, so yeah, I'm looking forward to learning more about this one. There is not uh, really anything else going on the Board Game Geek page so far. So um, definitely more will show up in the future, I'm sure. All right. The next game is Asonia. Uh, Now, this one uh, has some images of the box art and the cards, and this is a card game with a fantasy Renaissance uh, uh, theme. And the mechanisms are deck building with hand management. Now, uh, down below in the description, it says that the goal of this game is to increase your influence by purchasing and playing more and more powerful cards. The player with the most influence at the end of the game is the winner. And everyone starts with a basic cards of their house, which can be enhanced from the marketplace during the game. Uh, so this is obviously some sort of deck-building game. Let's see. And uh, I'd like to learn more about it. It doesn't look like this is a particularly long game, um, but it's got some nice art on the cards. Um, we have uh, various actions and whatnot printed on them. So yeah, I'm curious to see how this is actually going to work out. Um, it says it's a 1-4 to four player game in only 20 to 40 minutes. So um, again, probably not a incredibly deep game overall if it has a potential 20-minute playtime. But I'm mostly uh, subscribed to this one on BoardGameGeek I want to learn a little bit more about how the uh, deck building part of this game works out. So that is Asonia. Uh Moving on, we have Bonfire. Now, uh, the first reason <laughs> I'm interested in learning more about this one is the designer. Uh, this is being designed by Stefan Feld, and um, if you're familiar with that name, I don't need to say more. If you are not familiar with that name, I can briefly say that uh, he makes uh, lots and lots of very good medium-to-heavy weight Euro games. Um, I have enjoyed many of his games. I would not say I'm a huge fan fan of Steffenfeld. I've liked most of his games, though, and uh, seeing his name on a box is enough for me to become interested. Now, uh, this says that it is a fantasy puzzle-style game, And it does have a couple of images, which is nice to see. Now, uh, from my understanding, the way this game works is, on your turn, you are going to be placing down um, little colored domino-type pieces in your player area. And if you are able to match up the colors to other pieces that you've played out already, that matching set will let you do an action. And I think the power of that action will be dictated by how large that set is. Um, Now, there appears to be quite a lot going on here, and that's somewhat standard for Steffenfeld games. Um, They oftentimes have lots of different mechanics kind of uh, working together, and um, as far as the picture of the overall board is concerned, there is an island chain with sea routes connecting the islands. There's also um, kind of a circular board in the middle of the table, and then, of course, everyone has their own um, little uh, square grid area that they're putting these domino-type pieces into. So that all sounds interesting. Um, honestly, it kind of reminds me of Oracle of Delphi a little bit based off of what I know here, because in that game, you roll dice and put them down in front of you onto your own sheet, and those dictated your actions, whereas in this case, it looks like you are going to be putting down little domino pieces, uh, and then those will dictate your actions. Um, now, as far as the theming is concerned, It's a little confusing. (laughs) It talks about um, this being a world that was lit by gigantic magical bonfires, but then people took them for granted. So the, uh, the people who kept the bonfires going, the guardians have left. The bonfires have gone out. And now we are all gnomes trying to convince the guardians to teach us how to turn the bonfires back on. I don't really care about the theme overall. <laughs> I'm mostly interested in seeing how all these different mechanics work together and seeing what kind of new stuff uh, Stefan fell has going on. Um, they do have a image of the box cover, and um, it's pretty striking. It's got, you know, kind of like a Guardian Druid-type person and a bunch of flashing lights and whatnot uh, in a forest-type setting. So, yeah, I'm uh, quite interested in uh, seeing the full rule set for Bonfire. This one looks like it could be a Euro game that's right down my alley. Okay, we can now move on to control. Uh, Now, I learned about this game at Gamma about five or so weeks ago. Uh, That's when they announced it, and this game immediately became of interest to me um, because of, uh, well, the way it looks. Uh, So they do have an image of what the game uh, looks like uh, currently up on the Board Game Geek page, and the way this game works is you have a uh, cube, like a square cube, and um, what you do on your turn is you take these little kind of Lego-type squares, and you stick them into the sides and the top of the cube, and you essentially snake out from wherever you were already. Now, you're going to be Crawling over five out of the six sides, the bottom side always stays empty. But what you're trying to do is just control as much of the space of this uh, five-sided uh, playing area as, as you can. So you can uh, crawl on top of other people and whatnot. And interestingly enough, after you finish your turn, you place a large flag in the last... Um, A block that you put down, and that blocks any movement through that flag area for any of your opponents. Um, Now, this one is definitely hard to describe, so uh, seeing an image of this one really helps, and um, this one is called Control, but that's just CTRL, like the um, control button on a lot of keyboards overall. So this looks to be a relatively simple game to uh, play. Just every turn you put three blocks down, and then you put your flag down. And once all of the blocks are out, you just count up points by uh, getting one point for every face of a block that you uh, can see. So that means if you have a block on the top with no one uh, next to it, no other blocks next to it, then there are going to be five adjacent faces, or five uh, open faces, which means that block is worth five points, Uh, whereas if four out of the five sides have other blocks on them, then you only score one point for that. Uh, So this one looks really neat. It says it's two to four players, plays in 20 minutes, uh, being published by uh, Pandasaurus Games. Um, They do have an overview video up from Gamma if you'd like to learn a little bit more about it, and I want to try this game, like, just from a Toy Factor perspective. It seems really neat. I mean, it's definitely not my wheelhouse of games in general, but it just looks really interesting. And I guess when you're playing this game, you effectively pass this growing um, (laughs) play space uh, from one player to the other. Uh, Apparently, these are going to snap together very well. So it's, it's an interesting game where you're not playing with the middle of the table. You're just passing around this ever-growing ball of uh, tokens. And then once you're all done and all the tokens are on that uh, growing area, you just count up the points. So yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to uh, giving this one a shot. Next up, we have Dark Ages Holy Roman Empire. Uh, Now, I learned about this game when uh, the publisher, Board and Dice, reached out to me about making a uh, video for it, and I have already put out the uh, the sponsored tutorial and playthrough for this one several weeks ago. Um, It's been a couple of months since I put out a Games Radar vlog, and this one I learned about, obviously, at the uh, tail end of it. Um, Now, I know all about this game because I've uh, fully completed a tutorial and playthrough, so I can tell you that this is kind of a 4X style game set in the uh, in Europe and I think the Middle Ages, well the Dark Ages, <laughs> it's called Dark Ages John, uh, so set in the Dark Ages and in this game you are like building out infrastructure with buildings, you are uh, making units out on the board and you're doing a little bit of fighting but you're also working on technology it definitely has that 4X vibe going on and if you'd like to learn more then go to the Dark Ages page because I have a tutorial up there which will teach you all of the details of this um, so uh, there's obviously a lot of uh, images on Board Game geek as well, so there's a lot of ways to learn more about this one. It ran a Kickstarter that I think has now ended, but um, it'll get a wide release at some point, I'm sure. Uh, all right, next up, we have Deep Vents. Uh, now, this one is being published by, by Red Raven Games. And um, this one really stuck out to me because, uh, well, a couple of reasons. Uh, now, if we look at the um, the main Board Game Geek page, it just has an image of the box cover, which has typical Ryan Laukat kind of cartoonish art, which I do like. Um, but um, I did find the rules to this game, and they were uh, down at the bottom of the, the Board Game Geek page. So I can tell you the way this game works is... You are building out deep-sea vent area like you are in charge of uh, this part of the the bottom of the uh, the sea uh, near these really super hot vents that uh, will attract various uh, life and whatnot. Now mechanically the way this game works is every single turn you are just going to draw a tile from a row in the middle of the table and this uses an incentivization mechanic where if you don't want the tile on the far left then you have to put a little arcade bacteria token on every tile that you want to skip until you take one that you want. Then you add that into your area and these tiles are hexagons, and then after that, you will activate every tile in your area. Now, each tile will either trigger to generate archaea bacteria, which is kind of like points in a certain way, or you could trigger the tile's action, which could do things like put more archaea bacteria on other areas, or let you cash out that archaea bacteria to put it into your supply so that you can spend it to take more tiles, or you could do other things that are more interactive where you can actually attack everyone else around the table. Now, this game keeps going until everybody takes, I think, eight turns or until one person is left. So there is player elimination in this game, but you don't target any one particular person when you do an attack, it just hits everybody. So I'm not generally crazy about player elimination, but it says it's a 2 to 4 player game that takes 40 to 60 minutes, so that's not too bad and I really like the idea of just every turn activating everything. So you start with just one tile, but obviously if it's the sixth turn of the game, you put a six tile down, you activate all six. So as the game goes on and on, you essentially have an engine that you're building in front of you, and you can slowly try to react to the things that your opponents are doing because if they attack you this turn well, there's a decent chance they're going to attack you next turn as well because that's part of their overall engine, and you have to just kind of work your way around that. You can get shells to try and defend yourself and whatnot. So this seems really neat, honestly. I I definitely want to give this one a shot. It seems like it has a very simple rule set, with incentivization and tiling, which I obviously really like, and I think there could be a lot of interesting combinations of effects that you can do as you put these tiles together because a lot of the reactions have to do with um, the different tiles that are adjacent to one another. So uh, definitely looking forward to uh, having a chance to play this one. Uh, moving on, we have The Inseln im Nebel. Uh, now, I learned about this game about two months ago, and I proceeded to go out and buy it from Amazon.de because uh, currently it only has this German version. Now, I've received that game, uh, but it's still in shrink at my house because, well, shelter in place has happened, and I haven't really um, played my board games, well, really, since then. So it might happen at some point, uh, playing two players with my wife as we're obviously um, not really leaving our house or seeing our friends. But let's talk about this game a little bit. (laughs) Uh, So this is a, uh, looks like light to medium weight Euro game where each person is in control of a a hot air balloon and you are exploring a uh, unexplored Island in front of you. So everyone has their own Island. Now there is a wind direction and that is defined by dice that are rolled at the start of the turn. And it's a global direction that hits everybody. And then your hot air balloon is going to sail in that direction, or you could spend some energy to uh, manipulate that direction. And then in, Um, turn order, players are going to draft tiles and lay them around the hot air balloon to essentially say, oh, look at that thing we can see over there. Oh, look at that thing we can see over there. Um, And honestly, that was enough for me to want to get this game. That's just such a neat theme of just wandering around an island in a hot air balloon at the whims of the wind to a certain extent and just building out these tiles, which give you points for doing a wide variety of different things. Uh, So I own a copy of it. It's in my house, and I am looking forward to giving this one a shot at some point. Uh, next up, we have Eternal Palace. Uh, this one is being published by Alley Cat Games, and this is a area majority card drafting, dice rolling, programmed movement, worker placement, and dice uh, worker placement game. Uh, so that all sounds kind of neat. Uh, on the page, there is just a uh, box cover, but there are no images of what the game looks like to play just yet, but this game looks like it has some pretty interesting things going on. Um, It says, In this game, you are tasked with helping the Emperor rebuild the prestige of the now derelict uh, Eternal Palace, and uh, players are part of noble families trying to get favor from the Emperor. Now, this is apparently a highly interactive dice-placement Euro game that features an easel where players are going to paint locations that they have unlocked. Players will compete for tracks to gain resources to spend for rebuilding monuments and recruiting workers and whatnot, but That sounds really interesting. Uh, It also says that each location is numerical based on dice rolls. However, players can visit um, if other players have gone previously by paying them fish and whatnot. Um, I just want to learn more about this easel painting... Uh, mechanic in the game. I mean, that sounds uh, pretty neat. Overall, uh, on the box cover, there is a a woman painting the Eternal Palace, so um, I'm not really sure how painting the palace and rebuilding the palace work together thematically, but I'm sure that'll get worked out. Uh, The designer of this one is Stephen Aramini, and that name looks familiar? Oh, that's right. They designed Circle the Wagons and several other games that I have uh, not played at this point. Um, But yeah, this game just looks like it has uh, real potential. It's a one-to-five-player game in 60 to 90 minutes, which is my sweet spot for playing Euro-style games, so I'm looking forward to more information coming out about this one, uh, the rules or video, or even just images of what the uh, game looks like to play, because currently there aren't any of those on BoardGameGeek. Okay, we can now move on to Frozen Frontiers, and this game has no images at all, and the main reason I'm interested in this is because it's being published by Cosmodrome Games. Now, they have a habit of making gorgeous-looking games. I'm not sure if this is going to be pretty because... They have listed no artists currently, and there are no images, but they make gorgeous-looking games, and uh, the only one I've played is Aquatica, which I really liked mechanically, so that is a publisher that I am certainly interested in following. Now, they have a large description going on the BoardGameGeek page, which is a little bit hard to follow considering there are no images just yet, but as far as mechanisms and categories are concerned, this is a card drafting, hand management, uh, variable setup game uh, that also has city building, uh, manufacturing, science fiction, and space exploration. Uh, now, thematically, it says it's the year 2100, and the population of Earth has 14 billion people, and essentially, there's not enough, I guess, resources and whatnot, and so we've gone to the outside, of the edges of our solar system, we found wormholes, and we found a new planet that is awesome because it lets us get a bunch of energy and get a bunch of other stuff, and we are essentially all trying to colonize and do stuff on this new planet um, way out in space somewhere. Um, Now, it looks like this game uh, goes over rounds where you're going to be building projects and taking main actions and checking conditions for various revenue generation stuff. I mean, again, the description is pretty large, um, but it's hard to parse. So at this point, I am looking forward to seeing some images pop up. Once images of the board do pop up, I'll probably come back over here and read through the description again, and it will probably make a lot more sense. So this one is a tentative uh, interest at the moment. I definitely uh, could bounce away from this one if it ends up not really grabbing me, but for the moment, I would love to learn more. Uh, So yeah, let's now move on to the next game, which is Hadrian's Wall. Uh, Now, this one is being published by Garfield Games, who um, are probably most known for their Of the West Kingdom line of games, like Architects and Paladins and Viscounts, um, also Raiders of the North Sea. Uh, Now, this does not appear to be in that same line. The designer is Bobby Hill, which does not sound familiar. Yeah, this is the first game on BoardGameGeek of their name, but... What's going on in this game is uh, players are taking on the role of Roman generals placed in charge of constructing a mild castle and the bordering wall of Hadrian's Wall. Uh, Now, you are going to go through six different years where you're trying to build a fort, man the defenses, attract civilians um, by building services and providing entertainment, and you're trying to defend the honor of the Roman uh, Empire from the warring Picts. Uh, Now, that's kind of neat from a... uh, thematic perspective, I guess. Uh, I've never seen Hadrian's Wall. I know it's um, in England and it was built by the Romans to try and help defend against uh, the uh, native people who were there uh, the Romans were coming in to conquer. So this one is obviously coming in from the uh, perspective of the Romans uh, trying to build out that wall. It just sounds uh, pretty neat. Uh, From Mechanisms, it says it's a hand management paper and pencil and tech trees, tech tracks type of game of ancient city building. So maybe this is a um, something-and-right-style game in addition to everything else. I'm really not sure. There are no images of the box cover or the, uh, the game in play, but it is listed as a 2020 game, so um, this one will hypothetically be coming out later this year. It says it plays one to six players, and it's 45 to 60 minutes. So, yeah, I would uh, love to learn more about the mechanics of how all of this uh, works in with the theme that's going on of uh, Hadrian's Wall. All right, let's now move on to Ice. Uh, now, this one is uh, this one largely grabbed my attention, honestly, because of the art. Uh, They have some art uh, images, but no images of the game being played. And uh, just the box cover is, I don't know, I think it's pretty striking. Uh, It's got a nice kind of cartoonish, but uh, vector-based overall style. And um, thematically, what's going on in this game is uh, you are trying to, let's see here, uh, you're up in the the, the frozen uh, the frozen world, uh, it's being swept by icy winds, and there's a city underneath it, I guess, and every year during the warmer season, the city's guilds organize several expeditions. So you're going over here, and you are essentially an archaeologist trying to explore tiles um, that you are going to remove, and it says there are four levels of tiles in the game, so I'm not really sure if this is a game that starts off with f- uh, stacks of four tiles all over the place and you dig down, if it did that, that'd be pretty cool. Um, but um, again, there are no images of what the game actually looks like to play at this point. Um, for mechanisms, it says there's action points, a modular board, and worker placement. So um, there's a lot to work from over there, and I would just love to learn more. The art is already pulling me in, and I want to see how this game actually is to play. It says it's 3-5 to five players in 60-100 to 100 minutes, which implies it's not that light of a game overall. Like, definitely mid-weight is the implication from that uh, playing time, which is a Again, kind of my wheelhouse of, uh, of the amount of time I want to sit down to play a game. Uh, oftentimes, I like longer games and shorter games sometimes as well, but um, I am intrigued by ICE, and I'm looking forward to learning more. Uh, all right, we can now move on to Intrepid. Uh, now, this one is a cooperative game with dice rolling, events, scenario, tile placement, variable player powers, and space exploration. And the main reason I am following this one is because of the description. It says, uh, Intrepid is a game about surviving 220 miles above the Earth on board the International Space Station. Players take on the role of astronauts from a variety of nations, bringing their unique technologies to bear, Players must work together to generate enough life-sustaining resources each round, all the while working to resolve the disaster they are facing. So this is a strategic and highly asymmetric cooperative game for one to four players. that takes 60 to 90 minutes. And apparently there's a variety of different scenarios and nations and all that to make the uh, variability somewhat high. And I just think the idea thematically of playing a cooperative game where you are all astronauts on the ISS Sounds pretty neat. Um, there are lots of cooperative games out there in the world, and it seems like generally they kind of put you in the role of of a big, uh, of a, of a larger-than-life uh, role, like a Pandemic, for instance. You are the medic, and you're just going around healing entire cities as one medic. Well, this thematic uh, uh, situation puts you where, you know, there really might only be like four or five people on the International Space Station at one point in time, so you are trying to do everything that you can. I'm not actually sure how many people are up there at this point, but it seems a little bit more in line with reality. So um, there currently are no images of what the game looks like to play. They have some art assets of what um, different uh, player characters could be, I'm assuming, as well as uh, one image of the ISS being pummeled by meteors. So uh, this might not be super close to reality overall, but um, yeah, I'm definitely uh, looking forward to learning more about the mechanics of this one, it seems like it definitely has potential. All right, we can now move on to It's a Wonderful World Ascension. Now, I don't normally highlight expansions here because honestly, I'm not that big a fan of expansions in general, Uh, but I really enjoyed It's a Wonderful World, and um, that is a relatively lightweight, uh, from a rules perspective, drafting game with some engine building. Now, one thing I felt like that game could use is a little bit more complexity, and it looks like that is what this expansion does. It um, brings in uh, new cards. It says, uh, this new deck of cards complements the existing cards from the game. From now on, each turn, you will play a mixture of classic development cards and ascension cards, and the ascension cards introduce new ways to play, most notably through pair scoring and corruption. Um, And this also lets you play up to six players, which is great, considering It's a Wonderful World is a fully simultaneous game. Uh, Now, the pair scoring has to do with actually matching up pairs of cards to get points. Uh, In the basic game, the scoring was a little bit more um, uh, straightforward. It would either, uh, you know, a card would say, I'm worth four points, and that means it's worth four points, or it might be worth uh, one point for every uh, green card that you have in your area. Well, now you have to, like, pair different cards up, and there's this corruption thing, which are really powerful cards, but they give you corruption, and I can't remember why that's necessarily bad, but it definitely gives you another thing to think about overall. So this is an expansion that I am actively interested in getting a copy of, because it also seems like the, the best kind of expansion, where you just shuffle everything into the base game, and And then you just always play with it that way. So, yeah, definitely looking forward to being able to play with this one. All right, next up we have Maglev Metro. Now, this is being published by Bezier Games and being designed by Ted Elsbach, which is, of course, um, Bezier Games is Ted Elsbach's publishing company. Now, this combo put out Suburbia, which is a game that I fell in love with back when it came out in, I don't know, 2012 or something. I guess I can look it up real quick, but it's not that important. Uh, But... Uh, This game is also very intriguing to me. Now, right now, they just have an image of the game box on uh, Board Game Geek, but they do have an overview video that was filmed at Gamma, and I was actually in that video. <laughs> so if you uh, want to learn more about this, check that out. You'll actually uh, see me hosting that segment. Um, I go to Gamma, or at least I've gone for the last couple of years, and I volunteer, volunteer with the Board Game Geek team, and I happen to be the person up when this happened. And you'll see me getting pretty excited about it because um, the way this game works is you're all competitively building out underground maglev metros, which are like uh, magnetic levitation uh, 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 metro lines. Now, the cool gimmick of this game is that it's a hexagonal tile placement game where the tiles are transparent acrylic with lines paint, uh, uh, printed on them. So you will stack tiles on top of each other um, in order to not block each other because you could obviously just go deeper or higher up. So you don't block each other with the tiles out on the board, and you build out a metro map that looks a lot like the ones that you would see if you were on art or something on the London Underground or whatnot with lots of different colored lines that match the different player colors overlapped on top of each other as people are going to different spots. Um, Now, this game also has a player board with a ton of different uh, robots on them, and you use the robots to activate different things. Um, it was about five weeks ago that this was explained to me, so I don't remember all of the details, but if you'd like to learn more about it, definitely check that overview video and kind of learn alongside me once again. Uh, this is one that I am very interested in playing. After they finished explaining it to me at Gamma, I was, I was very excited overall, so uh, definitely lo- looking forward to uh, being able to try this one out and maybe seeing the full rules to get a solid idea of uh, what's going on with this game. Alright, next up we have Merv, The Heart of the Silk Road. Uh, Now, I am very interested in this game, largely because of the designer, which is Fabio Lopiana. Now, his first published game was Kalimala, which I thought was excellent. His second one was Ragusa, which I didn't like as much as Kalimala, but I loved it the ideas in Ragusa a little bit more than I actually enjoyed playing it. So I think that Fabio Lopiano comes up with this uh, with some really interesting ideas in uh, board game design. Now, this is being published by Osprey Games, and the artist is Ian O'Toole, and uh, Osprey Games is well known for high production value, at least as far as I'm concerned, in their games. They don't go crazy like Kickstarter crazy, but they have really nice looking boxes and nice uh, components, and I love the artwork of Eno Tool. So at the moment, on BoardGameGeek, they just have images of what the box cover looks like, um, and let's talk a little bit about the description because, um, spoiler alert, I found another image that I'll show you in just a second. Uh, now this says that Merv, the heart of the Silk Road, is a tense economic game charting the rise and fall of the greatest city in the world. Um, in this game, you are vying to amass power and wealth uh, in the Prosperous Heart of the Silk Road. And honestly, the rest of this description is a little bit loosey-goosey. The thing that I would like to uh, hone in on is the fact that down below in, uh, well, I guess, yeah, in, in the forums, I found a link to a tweet that has an image of this game uh, being played, at least the uh, prototype. Now, um, the way this game mechanically works, or at least the central mechanic of this game, is there is a 5 by 5 grid of squares, and then the game is played over four rounds. Now, in those rounds, you're going to travel together, I guess, um, down one of the edges of this square. So at the start of the game, you are moving along the top. And um, it's a competitive game, and you move your token, I think, as far as you want. I'm not sure about the specifics. And then when you stop, you then activate that column. You can put a little house down onto a, a card or use somebody else's house, and then take resources that match and do other actions. Now, you've blocked out that column, so other people will all go until everybody's selected a column. And then you finish that round Everybody goes over to the top right corner, and then you will now move down. This time, activating rows, potentially reactivating buildings that have uh, or tiles that have buildings that were put down in the first round, and you just go around the four sides of this five by five grid. And there's a lot other, a lot of other stuff going on in the image of the prototype. That only takes up about forty percent of the board. There are multiple other tracks. There appears to be uh, a road, and there's a branching path-looking thing. There's there's a lot of stuff going on. But apparently in this game, you are, uh, I think, uh, just taking Making, uh, 12 actions overall. So uh, I'm very interested in learning more. That alone, just knowing that mechanic about kind of traveling around this 5x5 uh, area, reactivating uh, these tiles and getting bonuses from the grids, uh, sounds really interesting to me. So I'm looking forward to learning more about Murph. All right, uh, we can now move on to Mini Express. Uh, now, this game uh, came to my attention about a week ago because I saw some images posted up on Twitter, and this appears to be a relatively quick Uh, a train-style game, Um, kind of like a Cube Rails game, but not necessarily exactly like that. Uh, Now, the designer of this one is uh, Mark... Garrett's and he designed Steamrollers, which was a roll-and-write train game that I actually quite liked. Um, I haven't managed to play it again, but I've played it once, and I liked it. Now, in Mini Express, this is apparently a sequel to Mini Rails, which is a game that I've not played. And in this game, you are going to uh, take uh, one of two actions on every one of your turns. Uh, you are either going to expand the uh, railroad of a company, or you take stock uh, in that railroad company. And through these actions, you're kind of kind of bounce back and forth, uh, traveling across the map of the United States. Now, I've actually read the rules to this one because currently this one is playable on um, uh, Tabletop Simulator and Tabletopia. I haven't played it just yet, but I am actively interested in playing it because it sounds pretty darn neat. Um, You are uh, playing out these uh, different trains trying to connect up cities to get various bonuses. And uh, let's see here. uh, There are tracks that are associated with um, each one of the uh, different train companies. And when you take stocks, you essentially pay a penalty based off of the amount of track that's currently for that company. Uh, So let's say you want to lay track, and there's like four track available. Well, you could put all four of it out, which means um, there are no more track there. So now somebody could come along and buy stock in that company because it's cheaper. Whereas if I want to buy stock in that company and there are four pieces of track there available, I have to pay a penalty of four before I actually get that stock. So you have this interesting push and pull where um, you don't want to lay all the track just to let your opponent's Take that stock, but you also don't want to take a super expensive stock. And the stocks also have a uh, varying amount of uh, endgame victory points. Uh, the stocks don't actually tell you who controls what. They're just end game victory points, which is my preferred way to play stocks. I like thematic stocks, not really mechanically accurate stocks. So I am uh, very much looking forward to trying this one on a tabletop simulator. I haven't just yet, but it's something that I am actively planning on doing. Uh, it looks to be a relatively straightforward game that also has a, a pretty quick playtime. It says 30 to 45 minutes for three to five players. And yeah, I'm really looking forward to trying this one out. All right, we can now move on to Mount Tai. Uh, Now, this one is being published by Jing Studio, and there is a pretty hefty description, but it does not say really much at all about what's going on in this game. Uh, Thematically, you are all, um, I think, princes trying to... um, Get uh, get the role of being the king or the next emperor, winning the praise of the emperor. That's right. Um, you're going over two years, and the most prosperous prince is going to win. But um, from a mechanism perspective, it says there are contracts, uh, there's a modular board, it's a simulation game with city building and economic stuff going on, which all sounds okay, but there are a bunch of images of what this game looks like to play. And these are intriguing enough to make me want to learn more about how it actually works. So I don't actually know how any of these uh, images actually work together, but there appears to be a mountain area with kind of um, tiles stacked on top of each other with a variety of different icons on them. Um, There are other stacks of things with numbers like kind of pyramids that people are building. There's areas of the board that have uh, different tracks. There appears to also be areas where you will put workers to activate different things. Things. There's just a lot of euroy looking stuff, very vibrant, colorful stuff on this board, and um, I don't know how any of it works together. So I am, uh, my interest has definitely peaked. I have subscribed to this one on BoardGameGeek, and hopefully somewhat, uh, sometime soon there will be some videos or images out to explain it. There are a couple of videos currently on BoardGameGeek, but they're both in Chinese, and that is a language that I do not speak. Uh, all right. So we can now move on to New York Zoo. Um, now, the main reason I'm interested in this one is because the designer is Uwe Rosenberg, um, who uh, has designed a whole bunch of games, uh, some of them relatively simple, like um, uh, Patchwork, and some incredibly complex, like A Feast for Odin, Agricola, and um, Lahav Have and whatnot. Now, lately, and by lately I mean over the last five or so years, it seems like Uwe Rosenberg is mostly making polyomino-type puzzle piece games, and this is no exception to that. Now, this is a one-to-five-player game that plays in 30 to 60 minutes, and um, there is an image of the back cover of the box. There's also a uh, Board Game Geek uh, overview video uh, that you can watch. It's about four minutes long that um, adds a little bit of context. But um, the way this game works is there is a track in the middle of the table, and um, you're going to move this elephant token down it, and um, you will effectively add new enclosures to your own personal area, or you will land on a spot that will give you animals that you can put into your enclosures. And at certain times throughout the game, if there are enough animals in the enclosures, then breeding will happen to get you more animals. So that's another trope of Uwe Uwe Rosenberg games. He definitely likes animal breeding in his games. And this appears to be just a race game to be the first person to finish out your entire park. Uh, Whenever you complete an enclosure um, full of animals, they clear out, but then you can put attractions down like Ferris wheels and whatnot to fill that area in. So I like the idea that it's a race. Um, A recent uh, um, a puzzly race game that he had a hand in was Nova Luna that I played a bunch. Uh, that was a co designed by him, but um, yeah, this appears to be a game that is not based around points. It's just around trying to be as efficient as possible, filling out your park, getting the animals you need, breeding them, getting various attractions, and trying to be the one who wins. So um, this one seems cute. It looks like a game that I uh, would certainly like to play at some point. All right, we can now move on to Nidavellir. Now, the reason I'm interested in this game is entirely because there is a Board Game Geek overview video made by Eric Martin um, that uh, I watched. Uh, I'm a subscriber to their uh, YouTube page, and I was like, I've never heard of this game before, and I watched the video, and I was like, that looks really neat. Now, the way this game works is... Um, players are going to have a set of tokens. And it starts off, I think you have a 0, a 2, 3, a 4, and a 5. And everyone is going to simultaneously place these tokens face down onto three spots on their uh, player board. And those spots are associated with three different markets in the middle of the table. Um, then you will um, simultaneously reveal the tokens that you put down for those markets and the person who put the highest uh, value token gets to choose a card from that specific market before people who put lower value ones down. And um, most interestingly, uh, any tokens that you did not play go uh, down to the bottom of your board. Um, so you always, I believe, have uh, five tokens. So you always put three face down and then two at the bottom. And then what you do is you take those two that you didn't use, say it's a, uh, a two and a four, and you sum those together, which gets you six. And then you take the six from a supply and you add that into your own supply. But then you take the highest value of the two that you summed, so a four, and you you put it back to the supply or out of the game. So the tokens that you don't use will let you upgrade into higher value tokens that you can then use to have a better priority spot to take the cards that you want in the future. So you might be motivated to put high value stuff on the bottom to upgrade even to uh, really big things like 23 and 24, long before your opponents, so you could guarantee get the cards that you want. But if you do that, then you're using your high-powered stuff to do upgrades instead of actually taking cards. And the way the cards work is it's simply... A variety of different set collection type scorings. Um, You get bonuses when you complete rows of different types of cards. Each uh, column has a different type of scoring uh, uh, way that the game works, and that's essentially the game. So it's a set collection game for cards that give you points in a wide variety of ways with a neat Um, upgrading, evolving uh, deck of uh, tokens that you use to actually take them. So this just seems like a cool gaming experience overall, and it's one that I'm actively interested in trying. Uh, I'm not sure if this one is purchasable at this point. Um, It it might not have an English uh, language version, but everything looks to be language independent as far as the components are concerned. So this is one that I will likely try to track down a copy of, because that just seems like a neat one to play. All right, we can now move on to Polynesia. Uh, Now, this one's being published by Ludonova, and the designer is Pierre Sylvester, who designed a few games, but most notably The Lost Expedition, which is a game uh, that I really quite like. Uh, Let's see here. Yeah, The Lost Expedition, North American Railways, uh, The King is Dead, uh, Where Sin Does Folk, uh, several uh, overall games, but only one that I've played. Uh, Now, it looks like this game is all about uh, being a Polynesian tribe trying to uh, uh, be uh, to travel, essentially, out to New Islands because where you started is a volcano that's erupting and you have to get away. Um, it says this is a nautical travel game with network and route building in it. And um, the way you actually play through this game is... It seems like you are trying to pick stuff up, pick stuff up, like uh, materials and resources and whatnot, as you are moving out, while also trying to, you know, get as far away as you can. It says the game is split into two phases. One is an action phase where players are going to uh, take actions like sailing, exploring, populating, and fishing, and then a maintenance phase where the volcanic activity is going to be checked, and players can collect resources that correspond the different islands and tribe members uh, and different things that they have done. Um, So that all sounds interesting. There are currently no images of the box cover or how the game plays, but um, the designer is uh, of note enough for me to be uh, uh, quite intrigued to learn more about how this actually works. Um, As time goes on, I've been enjoying network and route building style games more and more. So maybe you're not just traveling, but you're actually traveling and actually leaving people behind and maybe building out buildings and whatnot. I'm not really sure. Uh, I'm looking forward to learning more. This says it's a 2020 release. So hypothetically, there should be more information coming out about it soon. Alright, we can now move on to The Age of Atlantis, and I learned about this one just yesterday when the publisher reached out to me about potentially doing a sponsored tutorial and playthrough for it. Um, So fortunately for me, they sent me a rough draft of the rules uh, that is currently not up on BoardGameGeek. They have an image of the box cover and no images of what the board looks like, but... I have read through a rough draft of the rules, and without going into too much detail, this appears to be a civilization-esque game set on uh, the Lost City of Atlantis, where you have uh, different types of workers that are represented as dice, but you don't roll them, and you will do actions with these workers, and you could squeeze more actions out of them, which means their morale goes down, and if the morale goes down, then uh, Poseidon, the god of the sea, is going to be angry and uh, flood different things also there are enemies that are coming into attack that you're trying to defend against it looks like you only attack non-player characters and not against each other um don't quote me on that i've just skimmed through a uh, part uh, the uh, preliminary rulebook but um it seems like the main thing that you're doing in this game is constructing buildings and then using those buildings to upgrade a variety of different technologies on your board as you're going through uh, different waves of different things. Uh, the different types of workers that you have will unlock different areas out on the board to give you the resources that you need to actually build these buildings and get those technologies and whatnot. And all that stuff sounds pretty neat. I'm not actually sure if I'm going to be uh, doing this video. Um, we haven't come to a an agreement just yet, but I'm still curious to learn more. Um, the preliminary rulebook that I saw didn't really show what the map of the game looks like or anything, so I'm still sort of in the dark on this game, and uh, hopefully I'll learn more about it. Hopefully I'll actually do the sponsored tutorial, but even if that doesn't happen, um, I'm looking forward to learning more about um, all the details of this game and what it's going to look like. All right, uh, we can now move on to Whale Riders, and the main reason I'm interested in this one is because of the designer. That one is Reiner Knizia. Uh, now, he is famous for having designed hundreds and hundreds of games. Um, many of them are very good and very popular. Many of them kind of float off into obscurity instantly. Uh, now, in this game, it says you are a whale rider, and um, you, uh, for generations, your people have known and lived with the ice whales, And together, you've bought and traded at the busy ports along the fabled Ice Coast. Now, in this game, it says that this is a new design with a classic feel, where over the course of 45 minutes for two to six players, you are racing to the end of the Ice Coast and back, buying and selling as many resources as possible to take um, the money needed to acquire the richest prizes. Now it asks, will you skip opportunities to gain the greatest treasure, or will you take, uh, or will you make your money slowly along the way? So it seems like it's kind of a race game. It says there's hand management with a market. Um, it says race twice over here as a category and a mechanism. Also, it says it's going to be funded through Kickstarter at some point. So I am curious to learn more about this one. Uh, All right. Next up, we have Whistle Mountain. Uh, Now, this is a uh, game that's being published by Bezier Games, and it's designed by Scott Caputo and Luke Laurie. Now, Scott Caputo designed Whistle Stop, which was a Bezier Games uh, published game that came out about three years ago, and that was a uh, pick-up-and-deliver, hex-based game out in the middle of the table. It was neat. I played it once. Uh, But this seems to be a thematic sequel to that game with not a lot of connections. And Luke Lori is the designer of Manhattan Project Energy Empire, which was a pretty interesting game. Now, in this game, it says that uh, you are uh, taking your company's massive profits from the railroading that you did in Whistle Stop thematically. You're taking them and your new technologies deep into the Rocky Mountains, where there is an abundance of resources Your workers build crazy arrays of scaffolds and machines, upgrading your ability to collect resources. As you build with the help of your airship fleet, the mountain's melting snow causes the water below to rise higher and higher, putting workers in danger and increasing the tension on the dynamically changing board. Um, It says uh, down here, this is of particular note, it says because the resources you gather are determined by what the players build, each game evolves differently, resulting in endless variability, um, or replayability, I guess. Um, Now that sentence right there definitely has me intrigued. I'm very curious to see what that means, and I definitely like uh, endless replayability in games, even though I rarely play a game more than four or five times. But Either way, uh, I thought Whistle Stop was great. Uh, Again, this is a thematic sequel overall, but the designers are uh, both of um, high level. I think they've designed really cool stuff in the past. Bézier Games makes very good-looking games. So even though currently there are no images of what Whistle Mountain looks like, I am actively interested in learning more about this one, and I am very likely to be interested in playing this one in the future. Okay, we've now reached the last game I'll be talking about, and this one is Winter Kingdom. Now, this says it re-implements Kingdom Builder, and um, I actually only just learned about this one yesterday, and apparently there is a Kickstarter campaign going on for it right now. It started 22 days ago. Uh, Now, this one is being published by Queen Games, who I believe also published Kingdom Builder, and this kind of seems like it's Kingdom Builder 2 to a certain extent, so it has the core um, idea of Kingdom Builder, where there are um, a bunch of different uh, hexagonal spaced boards in the middle of the table, and uh, you uh, every single turn, you are going to be drawing one card, and it's going to tell you where you can build, and then you will put three of your little houses down on that specific type of terrain, um, and if you, you have to go adjacent to other houses and whatnot, I don't need to go in the specifics of Kingdom Builder, but it looks like Winter Kingdom has that mechanic plus some other stuff, like um, some coins that you can get that let you um, unlock various cards, which I think might give you powers. So it seems like it might just be a uh, different theming for Kingdom Builder. Obviously, it's in a winter kingdom instead of a summer kingdom like last time, with a little bit more extra complexity on top. Um, I enjoyed Kingdom Builder to a certain extent. It didn't blow me away, but uh, I am intrigued to try this version because obviously um, many years have gone by since The original Kingdom Builder came out, so there's going to be a lot of um, uh, development that's gone along to make the game uh, better overall, and then adding a little bit more complexity sounds great to me as well. So this is not uh, likely to be a game that I am absolutely in love with, but currently it's a game that I'm quite interested in learning more about. Perhaps it is the Kingdom Builder for me. I don't know. Um, Either way, uh, that has wrapped up the uh, 24 games that uh, were of particular interest to me that I learned about over the last couple of months. Um, I try to usually do these Games Radar vlogs every month or so, but life has been a little bit interesting lately, and so this one got put off a little bit. Uh, So yeah, if you have any questions or comments about any of these and let me know. If I missed a game of particular interest that uh, uh, you are really excited about, then feel free to comment about that as well. Uh, Maybe I saw it and it just wasn't for me, or maybe it was just something that just, flew under my radar overall, but either way, I think that is going to bring this podcast to a close. Thanks for listening.